positive Christianity. We ought not to have to put those two words together. We should be able just to say Christianity, and everybody will know how positive it is. Do you know we've got good news? Did you know that? Good news. There's a lot of bad news around, but we've got good news. In fact, we've got the best news. Therefore, I put it to you today, ladies and gentlemen, brothers and sisters, that we should be the most positive people on the planet. Can I have a loud positive amen? amen? All right, okay, we're getting there. Let me read to you the passage I'm looking at this morning, Jude verses 20 and 21. But you, beloved, build yourselves up in your most holy faith. Pray in the Holy Spirit. Keep yourselves in the love of God, waiting for the mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ that leads to eternal life. Christianity is essentially positive and life-affirming. And we need to work out how we can break the barriers or tear down the barriers to this message because so often people outside see us as negative. Many years ago, we were approached by the BBC to see if we would allow them to do an everyman documentary on Kensington Temple. Wynne Lewis, the senior minister, and he agreed. And setting out the parameters, it's always very good to find out exactly what the media are after and, and to see really uh, what approach they're going to take. And the conversation started like this. Well, we know you are evangelical believers. And Wynne Lewis said, we're Pentecostal. <laughs> well, okay, but we know that you, you are against abortion, you are against divorce, you are against homosexuality, and you are against, and he said, stop it right there. We are not against any of these things. We are for people. Well, of course. It's our responsibility to proclaim the truth of the word of God. But, you know, we should be known for what we are for, not just what we are against. And today, when we look to bring up kids into this world, especially our teenagers, or look to, to influence wider society, it's not enough to be negative. It's not enough just to protest. It's not enough just to remind uh, the world of the doom and gloom, and if they go on this way, yayo, yayo, you're going to end in hell. I tell you what, friends, the human personality is so disposed towards and drawn towards the positive that we should always emphasize the positive above the negative. And in fact, the positive is the way that we deal with the negative. So we focus on the positive aspects of faith, and that's exactly what Jude is doing now. It's, it's been a series. This is message number seven, a couple more to go. And you know that we have been through some very difficult territory. There's been Sunday after Sunday when the text obliged us to look at the severity of God. 
mainly in the form of people who were not believers. They weren't beloved members of the body of Christ. They weren't in beloved relationship with God, but they came in. They found they, they were going to get a way in to push their point of view, which was essentially a negative and destructive. Um, and even though they had a very positive sounding message, it was like, you can be a Christian and do whatever you like. Sin is not a problem. In fact, sin is a solution. Live it out all the more and God's grace will whack you all the more. Wrong. And they had an insidious effect upon believers and drawing some believers away. So Jude says, I've got to write to these people. I've got to write to the churches and warn them and call upon them to contend for the faith, not to be taken away by some of these negative practices. And so Jude, oh my, my, he lets them have it. He calls Old Testament prophecies. He takes apostolic messages and he and exercises his own authority to warn, to warn, to warn of the negative. Don't be like this. Don't be like this. But his purpose has been essentially positive. When we get to verses like this, we find him changing his orientation, changing the orientation of his discourse. Instead of saying, this is what they are doing, those unbelievers who are in your midst, don't follow them, don't listen to them. Now he says, this is what you must do. And he begins by saying, but you beloved. He hasn't used that term once of the people who don't know God. He is saying, you are beloved because you're my brothers and sisters. You are beloved because you're beloved by God. You are beloved because you're beloved of one another. Love, what a central positive message that is. I think that if we focused on love, the love of God, which isn't something that is weak and wishy-washy, but it is strong love based on truth, based on reality, with our hearts set on fire by the love of God, allowing the love of God to define everything about us, then we have a truly positive message. So I mentioned earlier that we are psychologically disposed as human beings to respond better to positive messages than negative messages. Psychologists tell us that particularly when we start out in life, around the age of adolescence, we hardly respond at all positively to a negative message. Remember this if you've got teenagers in the house or even your friends, you know, giving them a negative message all the time doesn't motivate them. It turns them off. Now, of course, we've got to warn people. Uh, scripture is about warning as well as about encouraging. And I know God has this incredible ability to focus in on the very things that need to be focused in on, rather like a dentist with a drill that will get the, uh, the decay out in order to bring you into a healthy position. But he does that only so that he can, having dealt with the negative, fill you, fill you with the positive. And in fact, here's a secret of life and living. I wonder if you've discovered it. You, if you focus on what God wants you to do and embrace your new life in Christ, you won't have to worry about sin. What do I mean by that? Quite simply, the way that we turn away from sin is by turning to God. The way that you move forward in the Christian life is by embracing 
the positive life, who you are in Christ, what he has done for you, not forever muckraking around with self-accusation and self-loathing and the shame that should no longer be part of your life. Jesus carried your sin. He carried your shame. Jesus came, Jesus died, Jesus is risen again, and he's coming again with good news. Amen and amen and amen. So let's show the world positive Christianity. Let's get back to parenting for a moment. I've got parenting and protest in mind, all right? Very important things. Parenting. You know, if you're going to just tell your kids all the negative stuff, say, this is wrong, this is sinful, don't do this. Why? Because I say so. Why? Because it's sin. You're going to breed some demotivated people. Now, it's important to warn people. But on the other hand, show the benefits of living for God. Say, look, you know, if you do that stuff, it, it, it's going to lead you into difficulty. But if you concentrate on these things, you're going to enjoy all the positives of life with God. It's not only the harm that you will avoid, but the positives that you will have. Take, for example, sexual purity. Now, a lot of people are just go around shaking their fist at the devil and pointing the finger at one another and condemning, 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 condemning sexual immorality. Good. I'm glad there are people still around who recognize God's standards for purity. But that's no way of escaping impurity. So in sexual purity, you have to put forward the biblical vision, the Christian vision of healthy marriage, which, which the less you've had to deal with in terms of past sexual encounter and past experiences, which might have been very high in sexual pleasure or in excitement, but very low on the reality of what love really is, and very low on the security that comes from true covenant of marriage. That's an example. Also, if we are wanting to protest, and I, I, I've, I've been on protests, I think it's important to protest when there are things happening in Parliament or things happening in our nation that we as citizens of the nation don't dislike. We have a democratic right to protest, but remember you've got to build bridges as well as protest. And you've got to show and present such a desirable, positive expression of Christianity, the good things that we have. Frankly, and I'm just speaking personally now, I don't know how people who, how without hope, without God in this world, how do they survive out there? We have hope and we have God, and it requires the very best of us. It's not just an escapism. So we just pray, God, keep me safe from, from COVID, ah, man, and then everything's okay. No, we know that we have to endure. We know that is a, a, a battle that we have to face every day. We know there are responsibilities we have to carry. But we can do that with joy when we know who is carrying us, and his name is Jesus. Can I have an amen in the house of God today? All right. Now, I count four things that Jude highlights, four positive things that we are to pursue Number one, growth. Build yourselves up in your most holy faith. Remember, his purpose is, I want you to contend for the faith 
given once for all to the saints. And one of the best ways of contending for the faith is to embrace everything that Jesus has for you, to live it out, to enjoy it, to recognize its treasures. Instead of just having to stand up and say, this is the faith, this is the infallible word of God, which it is. This is the truth and you ought to accept it. Don't just talk like that. Show them. How amazing. Wouldn't it be amazing if society came knocking on our door and said, how do you do it? Do what? Well, we've seen your kids. We've seen how you do families. It's amazing. And, And we know what you believe. We know that you believe that True marriage is between a man and a woman committed together in covenant relationship for life. And we we actually find that very narrow, but look at what you're doing. Look at your kids. Look look, Look how much you share your lives with the community. Look at how you point to the positive. And what we now want to know is what's the secret of this positivity. And when we engage with people like that, we can really make a difference. And we don't have to compromise. So a lot of people say the way to make an impact is by toning down your evangelical conviction or or not talking so much about Jesus, but just, just be silent shiners. Now, I know how important it is to shine for Jesus without words. But at the same time, we need to be able to live such a life that provokes the questions that ask us, how do you do it? A friend of mine uh, many years ago, he, he dealt with his neighbor like this. You will all recognize his name if, if I gave it to you, but I, I'm, I'm not going to. Anyway, uh, there, there he was living just outside of London, and there was a garden and a fence and a neighbor and everything like that. And one day he was watering his geraniums near the neighbor's fence, and the lady popped her head over the, over the fence and said, Oh, how are you? Good. How are you, Mrs. Whatever? And uh, she said, I've been watching you, yeah? I've been watching you and your family. What is it about you? And my friend is very clever and, and a bit naughty. He said, oh, let's say Mrs. Jones. Oh, Mrs. Jones, if I told you, you would never believe it. And then went on and kept her waiting. So that he, we need to know how to inspire people to ask us the right kind of questions. And I I tell you, maybe you've experienced this already, that we have the joy of the Lord. That doesn't mean to say that we walk around with a permanent smile on our face because they might have thought we were auditioning for the movie, Batman movie, to play the Joker. No, we're not like that. But there is a joy and there is a, a buoyancy in our spirit because we know who we serve. We know what he's done for us. We know the impact he's having on our lives and we struggle. Of course we do. We struggle. We have problems. We have difficulties, but we face the solutions. Getting back to Wynne Lewis, uh, many years ago, we were on the staff with him and and the staff meeting was around, oh, uh, I've got a problem in my department. He said, oh, yeah, I've got a problem in my department. I've got a problem. He said, enough already. He banned the word problem. You are not allowed to have any more problems. Well, what do we have? He said, you have opportunities. So next staff meeting, somebody said, I've got an opportunity in my department. I've got an opportunity in my department. And what they really meant was problem. But the fact is, 
is that every problem is an opportunity to prove the grace and the goodness of God and the power of God and the sufficiency of God and the joy of the Holy Spirit in overcoming the problems. And you know what? If they don't go away, we know somebody who is never going to go away and his name is Jesus and he's with you in every situation, circumstance, your up days, your down days, your in-between days, your thin days, your fat days, your happy days, your sad days. He is with you forever. Amen. Build yourselves up in your most holy faith. This is about growth. All right. Um, this means we have a responsibility to grow. And he speaks to everybody together. This is not just, I have a responsibility to grow and you have a responsibility to grow. We have a responsibility to help one another grow. That is what the church is all about. Uh, a number of months ago, I received a very startling email from one of our uh, well-known black members of Kensington Temple. And this is what he said. I've given up on church. I read on. This man was disillusioned by the racism that was present in his profession. Generally in society and even in the church. So, he said he's given up on the church. Hmm. Let me tell you this. Whatever problem you're facing, whatever faults you see in people around you, separating yourself from your Christian community is never the solution. For many reasons, mainly because you are the church. You are the church. You're not the profession you have. You're not the identity group that people tell you you belong to. But you are the church because you're joined to Christ and his body. And building up your brothers and sisters is building yourself up. Growing the church is growing your own spiritual life. And giving up on the church is giving up on yourself. I pause not for an amen, but for an ouch. But I think that's a strong point. Amen and amen. Of course, we have to be responsible for self-care. Um, I, I, I would easily give you a whole sermon or two on spiritual self-care. But rather than do that, we've already prepared it for you on the Revival Times blog. If you go to Revival Times in the blog section, there is a whole section on spiritual self-care. We've been doing this as a team together on the staff and, and various staff members contribute to, towards this discussion. But essentially, spiritual self-care is looking after yourself spiritually. Not, you know, excluding outside help, not excluding pastoral help, of course not. Not excluding the relationship between members of the body of Christ. Our cell ministry enables you to focus on caring for one another. But caring for yourself spiritually, spiritual self-care, is as significant as every other aspect of self-care. Of course, the big things, of course, are Bible reading, fellowship, dealing with, dealing with a lack of forgiveness in your heart, dealing with the hurt before God, spending time in the Word of God, not just reading mechanically, but feeding on the Word of God. I wonder what you expect when you turn to the Bible. Do you expect this? And it's not a wrong answer. The Bible is God's manual for life and living. Would you agree with that? I mean, I certainly do. 
Here's how we should live, of course. But you know, it's more than a manual. The Bible is God's word of life. When I come to the Bible, as well as looking at all the things that I know the Bible is, is underlining in my life that I need to change, and the practical guidance for everyday living, of course that's there. But what good is that without the life that comes from the Word of God? Jesus said, the words I speak to you, they are spirit and they are life. And sometimes when I, uh, after a very busy day, when I've been at the computer, my eyes are hurting, and I want to just, just take a bit of a pause from the screen or uh, from eye work and reading, I switch on the audio Bible, and I hear, and what comes across is amazing when you hear it read, even stuff that you wouldn't necessarily notice if you're reading it yourself, but hearing it read. And time and time again, I'm conscious of the words of life. Sometimes it's not, oh, well, that's a good thought. Oh, yes, that'll make a good sermon, or that's an encouragement. But it's just the spirit of life that is communicated by the Word of God. The Word of God is the most positive source of your spiritual life, especially when you read it in relationship to the Holy Spirit. And that's what he goes on to say. Pray in the Holy Spirit. So his first positive word is growth, positive growth. Second word is positive empowerment. So he says, pray in the Holy Spirit. So we've got to take this at face value. And what he's saying is if you're going to build yourself up, if you're going to grow, then your life of prayer must flourish, but flourish in the Holy Spirit. But I find here that actually this implies something more general, not just the life of prayer. This implies that everything we do as believers, must be inspired, activated, motivated, and empowered by the Holy Spirit. This is the difference from just being a religious person and being in living relationship with Jesus. God puts his spirit in our hearts. I know that for my life and ministry, and I'm sure you've all been there and experienced the same thing, that a spirit-filled life flows out of spirit-filled praying, but we don't stop relying on the spirit just because we're not praying at that moment. A life dependent on the Holy Spirit without whom we can do nothing. We, we, one of my friends is a great, great missionary. Every day he, when he gets out of bed, he and his wife, they pray a prayer like this. It sounds a little negative, but, but hear it out. Here we are, Lord. Good morning. I want to tell you today that we are nothing, we can do nothing, we have nothing, and we know nothing without you. So come and take our nothing and put your everything into our lives. Empowering, empowering. As we pray in the Holy Spirit, we have all the benefits of Holy Spirit prayer, access into his presence, the attitude to prayer, the power to prayer, the understanding in prayer, the spiritual gifts that are so often used 
with uh, life in the Spirit, and especially prayer life, uh, words of knowledge, empowerment, tongues, interpretation of tongues, all the wonderful life in the Spirit. But the major point is this. Without God, we can do nothing. And you know, the most positive place you can be is to acknowledge your dependence on the power of God. Because without God, you can do what you can do. But with God, you can do what only he can do. Or he'll enable you to do it. There's a story of a man who got out of prison. He'd served his sentence for theft. Had a bit of time to think about it. It's a kind of different form of lockdown, as you can imagine. And he was contemplating his life, thinking, you know what, I don't want to go back to that old life of crime. How am I going to get out of it? How can I break these old patterns of my life? He didn't know God. Anyway, he found himself entering a church building, and this building was one of those great ornate buildings, and there was on the western wall an amazing stained glass window, and on it were inscribed the Ten Commandments and other things. It's on the western wall. And as he sat and contemplated, the sun began to set and shone through the stained glass window and projected what was in the window on the floor. And just in front of his eyes, he could decipher it, he could just make it out, was this commandment. Thou shalt not steal. That's one of the Ten Commandments. And you might have thought he would react like this, saying, oh, woe is me, I'm such a bad person, I've broken the commandments of God. Well, he knew that anyway. But not being very read in the Bible, not understanding spiritual things. Do you know what he saw? He didn't see a commandment, he saw a promise. Thou shalt not steal became to him a word saying, you will not steal. In other words, he experienced what it means to move away from the judgment and condemnation and guilt and shame of being under the law to the life and liberty in Christ knowing that God will give you the power to overcome anything that previously held you back. And the blood of Jesus Christ, God's Son, cleanses you from all sin. Empowerment. Number three, the positivity of love. Keep yourselves in the love of God. I don't know what your first reaction is when you read that. Say, so, wait a bit, I thought God was supposed to keep me. Now I've got to keep myself. It's all about me. It's all about my effort, and I might fail. No, no, no. The Lord is your keeper. Absolutely. And in a week or two, we'll see how secure it is. The God who is able to keep us from falling will continue to enable us and to see us through to the blessed end. But there is a real sense in which you have to keep yourself in the love of God. How does that work? I put it this way. Imagine that around you is a circle. And that circle is the love of God. 
If you stay in that circle of the consciousness of the love of God, you're going to see everything else through that grid. Things that happen to you, you will interpret by means of the love of God. Everything that you feel you ought to do and the way you do it will be a manifestation of the love of God. So you keep the love of God as the basic, most fundamental, guiding spiritual principle of your life and never step out of that circle. Never move into your own natural energy. No, never move. Somebody said to me, I don't get mad, I get even. I will forgive, but I will never forget. You've just stepped out of the circle. But if you stay within the love of God and allow the Holy Spirit to keep you linked and filled with the love of God, you will find it begins to shape your life. You find that you begin to be defined by love. Let nothing else dictate your action or define your identity or shape your life. Nothing but the love of God. The love of God will help you keep out those negative messages coming from rejection, sense of unworthiness, guilt, and shame. But if you keep yourself in the love of God, never stepping outside of the domain of the all-giving, all-loving, all-embracing presence of God. And when God's love truly does define you, you can boldly go about the business of a positive Christian life. Finally, hope. Hope. He says, waiting for the mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ that leads to eternal life. Do you know that the fundamental orientation of our life is father-facing and forward-looking? The future orientation of your life is what defines you as a believer in Jesus. Did you know that? We thank God for the now, but the not yet is where we're heading. And I believe we should be a Christian community alive with end time expectation, not endless eschatological expectation, eschatological speculation. And have you noticed when people start speculating on the end times, it's all doom and gloom. And they talk about the end is nigh, repent, you're going to the fire. Now, the severity and judgment of God is important, but that's the backdrop which throws into focus and spotlighted relief the message of God's love. We're looking for a positive future. When Jesus comes again, it will be the renewal of all things. It'll be the transformation of all things, the things that we've longed for, but we've had to wait for. They become all the more precious having waited for them when we see him face to face. Here will be the full revelation of the mercy of God. We know it now. Thank God for his grace. We are saved by grace. We walk by grace. We live by grace. But you will not know the fullness of his love and his mercy until you see it personified on the face of Jesus Christ when he comes to take you to be with him forever 
in the eternal kingdom. And this opens up the fullness of eternal life. How sad that when so many people search for life, they pass by the door, the only door that leads to eternal life. And his name is Jesus. My missions to the nations over the years have taken me to many, many different countries. I counted about 70. I don't know about some of you, maybe that much or more. And that meant sometimes being away from home for significant periods of time. Coming home was always a delight. When I got home, I found a man that always prepared the home and the family for my return. When dad comes home, we will. We will go out for a meal. We'll show him those paintings you did. We'll take a trip to Adventureland. And this anticipation not only helped the family celebrate its reunification, but also helped the family go through times of absence and to deal positively with the daily challenges of the household, waiting for the time when dad comes home. That's what we're like as believers. Jesus' return will be to a prepared people, anticipating his return, knowing what will be ours in full measure when he does return. I wonder if you've noticed that all through these four positives that I've mentioned today, it has one thing in common. One thing in common is your relationship with God and your relationship with your Christian community. When your kids come home from school, I don't even know if they're at school yet, they're about to go back to school when they come home from school, and the family gathers for your evening meal, what would, do you expect? Do you expect the kids suddenly to disperse and go to the neighbors across the road, the neighbors next door, the fast food outlets in the corner, or the fancy restaurant on the high street? Sometimes we enjoy these things, but in a supplemental way, because nothing can replace the regular meals lovingly prepared for the family. And I say to you in the same way, nothing can replace the regular diet of spiritual food wisely prepared by those who have the spiritual responsibility for the care of your soul and with whom you're in a genuine pastoral relationship. I think this is something to bear in mind in these days of the shallow onliners, the fickle church surfers who mindlessly browse the internet in a vague search for their daily bread. This is the spiritual equivalent of the fast foodies who only eat what they can grab on the run. And when you need that pastoral visit, when you need the support of your brothers and sisters in community, it is no good contacting some person 6,000 miles away on the internet who doesn't even know you exist. But it's to be linked up. Oh, supplement. Yes, supplement your diet. There's great preaching out there. Wonderful, wonderful preaching. But your main food is at home. Gather around the family table and feed on the pastoral supply given to you by those who know you and love you.
So the Christian faith is essentially positive and life-affirming. So let's become the most positive people on the earth, living in positive relationships with each other as we build one another up in this marvelous community of love. I want to finish with a quote I came across this week. Pastor Tim LaCroix. Don't give up on the church. Fall in love with her again. He says, we should love and cherish the church in spite of her failures because she is Christ's bride, because she is his only bride. He found her, liberated her, and married her. That's why we love her, even when she's imperfect, because she is the only bride Christ has, and it is he who makes us great. Positive Christianity. 